0: If I can, you know, through Aboriginal Way, just reach out to some of
1: our mobs. Working with the wider non-Aboriginal community and working with our own community together allows us to start. In the past, you know, people know who they are and that type of thing, but there hasn't been something there to
0: bring everything together, to bring people together, and Native Title has done that.
1: Nina Marnie, welcome to Aboriginal Way, produced by South Australian Native Title Services. I'm your host, Caleb Sweeting, and before we begin, I'd like to acknowledge that we're broadcasting today from Radio Adelaide on Ghana land, so I'd like to pay my respects to Ghana Elders past, present and emerging. Each episode, we share First Nations stories and native title news from across South Australia. So, let's get into it. South Australia's landscape boards and stakeholders such as First Nations of South Australia Aboriginal Corporation have contributed to the development of the Department of Environment and Water's state landscape strategy. First Nations of SA Aboriginal Corporation is the peak body for First Nations in South Australia and it's made up of representatives from Aboriginal groups. Nukunu man, Travis Thomas, is the co-chair of First Nations of SA and joins me to discuss the 10-year strategy. So yeah, in in terms of the strategy, can you kind of talk about what it is and what what the purpose of it is? So the strategy,
0: they have these strategies designed every number of years, which are a template for all of the land management organisations in different bodies and entities which operate within South Australia to use as a guide where the peak people from these organisations have come together. They've had a lot of input into what they understand as being the key and uh, important issues or um, biggest things which they need to be looking at in terms of management and strategy within the. the state for the coming period. So these documents act as a guide for people to identify some of those things within their space. So if you're a local council manager, or if you're from primary industries, or in our instance, if you're from a First Nation, this document is there. So everyone who's operating within those spaces has a common touch zone, so to speak, that they can look at for guidance and to be able to identify uh, areas where there's commonalities across the state. So this is what this document has done, which means that when you're managing the landscape, you can tackle some of those issues which will obviously go outside of a boundary of a fence line in a, in a Western sense, mm-hmm. or
1: a council boundary or a yeah. you know, other type of agency boundary. So it's a broad range of stakeholders, this strategy, and then, because we're talking to you from First Nations, does that mean you take the strategy and then um, you know take it to the next step in terms of representing Aboriginal people and what they say you should be doing with the land? Yes, so as part of the process of putting it together,
0: we've been providing input into the inclusion of First Nations throughout all landscape policy, wherever possible, and the consultation. And our input has been to include it in the actual written format of, of this document. And there is a, a good section in there, which is dedicated specifically to First Nations and acknowledges First Nations and emphasises having First Nations involved and yep. the importance of that. And really going forward, it's, it's, it's at that time now where we're starting to see people look at the way First Nations have managed the landscape and understand that there is a deep knowledge there and that their methodologies have evolved with the land and that the land has evolved to First Nations management that the land has has never been a, a wilderness so to speak where there's an absence of of human intervention and human interaction the the land the country has has reacted to Aboriginal
1: people's management of that landscape. We do have you here, I wanted to talk to you because there are seven statewide priorities set out in the strategy. And yeah, what I was hoping to do, Travis, is I'll introduce each of those and then I just kind of want your, your take on them. So we will start with number one, which is sustainable primary production. So just, yeah, wanted to know what your take is on that and how um, First Nations would like to deal with that priority. So if we look at the
0: term sustainable, well, that's everything which First Nations did because if you weren't sustainable, well, simply you couldn't exist. You You ran out of food, you ran out of water, you ran out of living space. So in regards to sustainability, from a First Nations perspective, it's about encouraging landholders in a a non-traditional sense to look at the use of their land and look at how the land may have been prior to their occupation of that land and looking at what type of things may have been growing there and looking at what is being um, grown or um, implemented in that space currently and through a sustainability point of view it's looking at how can we use the knowledge of what was here previously to choose our appropriate cropping, if it's if that's what they're going to be doing there and um, what other things they may be having and what may be a better choice in that space if it's appearing to not be sustainable. And also looking at any emerging technologies which can assist them to make that land more sustainable as from a First Nations point of view, it obviously hurts any, any group to see their land um, become degraded and that's not beneficial to either the primary producer or whoever's using that land or to obviously the wishes of the First Nations people in that land. They want to see a healthy country and as healthy country as possible. So I think also, as I've mentioned, a lot of the, the traditional knowledge can go into that in the forms of caring for the country and we see that through a lot of the systems that are put in place that they've been taken from First Nations knowledge to do with you know, the burning of, of the land and to do with uh, rotational cropping and all those types of things which have, have come from that traditional knowledge in different locations around the world. So I think First Nations knowledge can always be drawn on to look at sustainability um, because they're the ultimate sustainable livers. Yeah, that's right. Number two is soils. Soil obviously is very important and it links into the other aspects. So if you don't have soil you can't grow much <laughs> and, and we've seen that linking in with, with drought and those sides of things that soil becomes a common issue. Obviously soil is being blown away when areas aren't managed correctly. So we're looking at erosion, we're looking looking at um, introduction of things into soils. So in the forms of obviously whatever's being put into cropping for example ends up in the soil which probably then ends up eventually in uh, nearby watercourses. So it's really about encouraging minimal harm to, to areas um, through the use of, of responsible materials to so the least harmful materials being used and there's many of those products on the market now. and Obviously we just encourage all producers to to do that and it's in their interest. And and to be honest, most are around these types of things and um, are on board with it and and doing the right things. But there's always a few that can catch up, but that's no different to any other thing in the world. But in regards to soil specifically, we can see um, when we have, going back to the fire, for instance, a bad fire, you kill a pile of the plants because it's too hot they die off, they then fall down, you then have a rain come in, you then have erosion, all your soil washes away, ends up in the creek with all the black material and then your creek's getting clogged, you're damaging that ecosystem, blocking up the creek, reducing the flow, killing the species that are in there or at least harming them. So soil like all the other areas, is part of the whole system so when we're talking about country. So if we're managing the country right, then the soil will automatically become healthier. So if you're overusing it or growing the wrong things, then obviously it's gonna damage it.
1: Yeah, that that links into number three, which is water.
0: Yes, so water is very important obviously in, in everything, but obviously from a cultural point of view as well, every nation, holds water in high regard and has a lot of um, spirituality connected with water and important stories and traditions and important in not just existence but in, in all aspects of life, that carries over through people's actual um, sense of identity. In Noongar, it's extremely important. We we see water in in a lot of our creation beings, and that they can take the form of it and transition between the sky the, into the earth and into the creeks, and as water does, as an example. And I'm I'm sure that is prevalent in many other nations. So. The issue with water is that there's been a lack of rights and access to water for First Nations and that's prevented control over water and it's prevented having a say around water. So one positive about this document is that it emphasises the cultural considerations for First Nations in water, which, as far as I understand, hasn't been significantly mentioned previously in... in many other publications so the strong emphasis on First Nations in this document is also specifically mentioned in regard to water and that was fed back to us from many of the nations and we sort of made that as clear as possible during the creation of of the document that that was seen as being of crucial importance to have it incorporated within this document and so that can then be used as a reference in all of the landscape management going forward that that is written there and that any First Nation who has sort of things happening in their space can go and cite that example to whoever they're dealing with and draw the attention that it needs to be a consideration and then it should be taken into account in whatever's happening in their
1: space. Yeah, and like you said, keyword there that you were even saying before we did this interview rights, water rights, and that's really important. The next one we have is number four, which is pest, plant, and animal management. So, once again, we've seen
0: a number of pest species get out of control within ASA, and as a result, it's become a high priority within this plan that i'll just outline also the numbers aren't in order of of preference of importance or anything like that but it's obviously the one of the listed issues which needs to be tackled as a priority um and that's what these these sort of 10 indicators are they're indicators of of things which have been identified as, as of key importance so we look at you have plant species which are pests and then you obviously you have animal species and other types that are that are also of a pest nature. So these are referring to invasive species, so non, um, in, in many regards, um, in imported species that have been brought here during colonisation, so your weed plants and your pest species, for, in, for instance goats as an, as an example, so that's what this is referring to, deer, um, camels, all those types of things. There's also can refer to native species in some instances if there is an overpopulation in some areas of things. So we've reiterated, I suppose, the sensitivities for some groups around species and that's where it's really important about consultation happening and with the involvement of First Nations from an early stage, and that's what's been emphasised also within this document, is that involvement of First Nations in all of these these areas and wherever possible, that if First Nations can provide the resources to undertake these activities, that they should be used as a preference within their, their country. So what that means is that if there's someone with the capabilities to undertake contracts within their land that they should be used as a first option prior to other agencies or resources being brought in to fulfil that need and which then gives them more uh, agency over their land and more involvement in their land and country and the management of it and caring for it which is helping them to meet their cultural obligations and it's also providing a potential income stream whilst they're doing that so that they're not missing out in a modern western sense of their opportunities um, financially within our modern society because to spend time on country often you have to be away from other commitments and you might not be earning money when you're there or you have to use up your time and, and it shouldn't be a case where we can avoid it that people have to get behind to connect with their culture when there's an opportunity there which can be leveraged for our peoples to gain financial income from managing their land then i think that that should be prioritized to, to be able to give that opportunity to that first nation
1: as opposed to a, an outsider or external person coming in yeah no all really good points and the next one is number six sorry number five which is impact causing native species which i guess kind of flows off from what you were just talking about in a way Yes, so that's it's specifically as to what I was addressing
0: previously, so obviously this one comes into um, species which as an example you know the kangaroo where we've hunted that for a long time they've established breeding rates, um, certain countries obviously not managed the way it was and that can result in certain species becoming more prolific than um, they perhaps would have been um, during Aboriginal management of that landscape so, species have always been interacted with and by our peoples and now that that system, that interaction has been altered and interfered with. That system is therefore non-functional. When you interfere with the system, you then have to take action to, um, to alter what you've interfered with because it's creating a negative outcome and the system's not working. So what that means is that by the inter- interference with the traditional management of the land, that you now have to take action to manage the things which are out of balance which has been created by that interference so where that comes into play is for a first nations perspective is engaging with the nations in the space where this may be identified as as needing to take place, um, and where it, you can see a particular species is causing an adversely negative impact on the surrounding species and ecosystems, that that may need to be addressed, but that it should be addressed in consultation with that First Nation and with their involvement as
1: appropriate. Yeah. I like that you went over that too, because I think it could be one of the points that people might bring up and be like, why would we want to go and get rid of a bunch of kangaroos? You know, don't we want to keep those? Yeah, and that's,
0: it's about looking at the landscape holistically and saying it was managed in a interactive space where everything's interacting with everything else and just trying to cover a lot of complex issues in um, a simple way as possible, but when something's out of balance that it needs to be managed and unfortunately we can't just ignore that Um, and no one likes seeing unnecessary destruction of things but we had a responsibility in the past to manage things and we still have a responsibility to that to that country and that's about each nation working out how they feel about things and them making their choices as they deem appropriate for their country. what we've aimed for in this document is the fact that they get consulted and that they have that say and that their voice is heard and essentially, as with anyone's country, what happens is their decision for each nation.
1: Yeah, and when you say this document, are you referring to the um, the strategy or the the plan that you're gonna be working off the back of that? Yes, yeah, so that, that this, this strategy, obviously, giving,
0: yeah. giving that reference and it's still... Um, the implementation phase is still being developed, so we're still providing advice as to how these points are going to be implemented in a way to ensure that the intent and the things that I've talked about
1: um, don't get lost. Yeah, that's right. And we're still going along, so we've got uh, number six, which is nature conservation and biodiversity. Well, this, once again, just um,
0: goes back to... I was saying about country being everything and not being one space. So in a I suppose traditional scientific Western way things are looked at in categories so things are divided up, which is, you know, going way back to your, your Socratic thinking and the Greek philosophers and things like that are establishing categories and looking at things and examining them, you know, in a, as in their own space and you know, A, B, C, D type, thing rather than in the the traditional way of going it's more of like a circle and everything interacts and there's no clear boundary and that's where biodiversity can take care of itself when you understand that rather than just looking at one thing or one problem go we've got a, a grant to fix one weed or we've got a grant to fix you know one particular part of the creek you need to understand the whole thing and look at it from a bigger picture and that's one of the spaces where there's always been issue between the scientific Western approach to land management versus the First Nations approach where there can be th- those clashes. So this is about helping to try to bridge that gap and that consultation with First Nations of looking at, at things and trying to bring people to an understanding of that more holistic approach to it and saying, well, how can we involve the groups in this space, if we're trying to achieve something, to to expand the benefits of that. So, are we looking at one thing, well, let's look at a couple of things, and what does that nation know about this space, and what was their knowledge of how it may have looked in the past, how can we get to that point, what do we need to do, and, and looking at it to go, well, you can't fix everything straight away all at once, it's a huge job, but identifying from knowledge of First Nations, where's the key area where you know there's some, uh, uh, in a Western sense biodiversity value greater than others that we could focus on to start with and, and using their knowledge to assist in preserving them and to improve them also.
1: And to finish up, number seven is fire, flood and drought recovery, which again, you know, that's kind of how we started this conversation in an area that you're very familiar with. So I'm quite interested in this. So recovery is, is
0: obviously a focus, but recovery can be seen in the sense of the term in, in many ways. So we can say, well, recovery for communities, which is your physical type, structural entities and then you can look at things such as emotional, so the psychological recovery of communities and then you can look at the environmental in in that western sense which is what we would call country, so the recovery of the country. This also links back into the other aspect of the biodiversity in that recovery from fire only needs to happen when you have bad or inappropriate fire so when you have a, a a super hot fire that comes through that's destroyed things and destroyed everything. Um, when a fire that's that belongs there that's that's burnt at the right temperature comes in then it doesn't destroy things you don't need a recovery because it's healthy and everything's responding to it as it's evolved to. So in regards to this the, the recovery can be can be prevented from being needed when you're trying to manage things in a way that you're creating less fuel loading landscapes and you're creating a lower intensity fire regime so that can aid in that um, less need for it and putting the money i suppose into prevention can often be better than the, than the cure but this is just my opinion but in regards to, <laughs> in regards to recovery, also I think which is can be overlooked is looking at where these things have gone through, and there's probably some missed opportunities after the recent 2019-20 fires. Um, looking at that space where the fires have gone through at a to higher intensity and chart it to to blackness as to what species come back afterwards. And we see that after a high intensity fire goes through that what's called pyrolytic, so fire loving species tend to um, release all their seeds. So as an example, you know, acacias for example, and all the other seed bank can be destroyed or inhibited by that fire. So then what pops back straight away is these fire loving species in great abundance which may not have actually existed in that way prior to that fire and wouldn't have existed in that way in a traditional management of that space. So you then have the potential for further fires in the future because they grow back too close together, really thick and fire-loving species in in one space. So in regards to recovery, after these fires come through, and unfortunately I'm sure there will be uh, more in the future, that looking at thinning out that landscape So in a traditional sense you wouldn't let too many of the one species establish in a space and you'd be keeping it as open um, as possible and having a mosaic burn pattern where you're having different stages of growth and you're enabling different species then to have a home and you're looking at it almost like a supermarket where if you need a certain thing you know you can go to that stage of growth, you need a different species, you know it's going to be over there. So looking at how we in recovery, how we try to get to going, okay, well, are we going to help certain areas and manage them so that we know that there's a mixture of species rather than the, the sort of monoculture which can establish after these fires come through and the excessive thickness of that country which also results after the fires of those intensity come through. And I think the misconception which a lot of people have is looking at a lot of our our country now and and not being able to see through it and thinking that just because it's a national park or something that it's that's how how it was or that it's natural and it's not um a lot of the landscape as i said was managed and it's that's an untouched landscape a devoid of of most human interaction and that's not how it has evolved and how it was which is why much of it is a lot thicker than Um, our stories have indicated from traditional um, knowledge of areas and the stories and then also going into things such as first settler accounts, journals, diaries, um, things such as forestry records. So this stuff is not just um, for those who may require empirical data and and not accept Aboriginal traditional knowledge. Well, it's written in records as well.
1: That's right will there be any other, what type of consultation will you be doing with the groups to ensure that all their voices are, p- are part of this?
0: Well essentially anything um, that, that the document's up there and it's available for people to see so there's this still opportunity if people um, feel they want to provide um, more input that we're, we're discussing the implementation and how this is going to be implemented to, to make sure we get things that they can still uh, send in and still provide comment and that we will take that and we will um, do the best we can to ensure that that voice is heard and that it translate to an actual outcome Um, and that's some of the words that we've had included in there as well that it's not just words that uh, written in this document even though i appreciate the irony of this statement written in this document is um is that, that there needs to be practical outcomes and unfortunately in a lot of areas around First Nations, um, to my frustration in in the past and over time, we've we've seen where there's lots of um, nice words written and glossy brochures and photos, but it doesn't result in on-the-ground action. And that's a point which I've emphasised through this process, and hopefully the message is is getting through. And in this next phase of implementation, hopefully we can cement in that. That the words and the the sentiments equate, or um, as best as possible, are uh, put within guidelines to guide towards the outcome.
1: Yeah, that's right. So, if people do want to read the State Landscape Strategy, they can go to www.environment.sa.gov.au and. Travis, I'm guessing they could reach out to First Nations of South Australia, Aboriginal Corporation as well, and get in touch with you. Definitely. Yeah. Um, Yeah, so you can also find details about that through the nativetitlesa.org website. And, yeah, I think I'd just like to thank you, Travis, for going through all of these points. And, yeah, we'll leave it there. Thank you. Thanks for listening to another episode of Aboriginal Way. Don't forget, you can subscribe to the show on any podcasting platform. And if you like what you're listening to, why not leave a review? My name is Caleb Sweeting, and as always, I'll catch you next time.